0: I met Dr. Julia Smith on a panel, and we hit it off immediately. Our walls certainly are quite different, but we really just had a fantastic connection, and I thought everything she said was so brilliant, and I really wanted to share what she had to say, with as many people as possible. And from that conversation and my follow-up with her, I really put together this idea of speaking with very well-informed, top-in-their-field doctors on women's medicine and issues that relate to women. So Julia really was the inspiration for this series And she also helped me find some of the very brilliant doctors that will be coming up on the podcast to follow. I'm starting with Julia because she was the inspiration and she is a magnificently brilliant woman. I'm very happy that you will have this podcast and all the others to refer to at any time you need to refresh and reconnect on some of the wisdom of these wonderful doctors. So I'm honored to begin the series with Dr. Julia Smith. Julia, thank you. My pleasure. If you could give everyone um, a little background on what you do, where you do it, how you do it, and then I can start asking the questions around
1: that. Okay. So um my name is Julia Smith and let's see, I did the MD PhD program. That is a joint NIH sponsored program. In fact I was the first woman in the program nationally. That dates me. <laughs> it's a long time ago. <laughs> um, And that program is a six-year program that includes medical school and then um, a PhD doctorate. My work was in cell biology and then my postdoc in molecular biology and molecular genetics. My training was in medicine and then I did training in oncology, hematology and oncology. Um, my postdoc work was in molecular genetics, and so my interest clinically was in oncology, cancer care. And one of the main reasons I was interested in that, there were a few reasons. One reason is that an oncologist, someone who cares for someone with cancer, takes care of the whole person, the whole body. If you are a renal, a kidney specialist, a pulmonary, a lung specialist, a cardiologist even, you're very focused on those organs. Mm -hmm. But if you're an oncologist, you really are taking care of the entire body and the entire person, and obviously also their extended family. So I like that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Also, right at the time that I was training was a time that oncology was changing, as it is again now. And at that time, the field of molecular understanding, genetics, was becoming, it just burst open. And uh, that allowed us to bring something of the research, the the bench research, to the patient and to the clinical setting, which is what I was interested in. And what,
0: and specifically at that time, what was different? What were the things you could bring to the patient?
1: Well, the thing that really changed the whole field of cancer genetics, which is what um, you know I specialize in, was that in the mid-90s, a woman named Mary Claire King cloned the BRCA genes, the BRCA1 and 2 genes. And Those the are BRCA the genes, Angelina Jolie genes. Right, right. The BRCA genes are genes that you everyone's born with a BRCA gene, and certain mutations in those genes, certain changes in those genes, you wouldn't know you have them because they're just formed in the embryo, and you're born with them. But those changes confer an significantly increased lifetime risk of certain cancers, and that was an amazing, amazing sort of uh, eye opener for the country, for the world, and for the medical community because nobody believed that there was any possibility that there could be a genetic basis to cancer.
0: So uh, does this test happen automatically when you get a checkup, or is it a specific test you have to ask for? Right. It
1: doesn't happen automatically. It is very important that people become aware, because now it's not just the BRCA gene. Since that time, we opened the Bellevue Clinic, a free clinic, Mm -hmm. to help women who might be at risk in the late 90s once these genes were cloned. Right. And... Since that time, we've opened a major center at the NYU Cancer Institute that that I'm the clinical director of, and we see all patients, men and women, because a large number of genes since the BRCA genes have been discovered and confer risk. And it's very important for people to know exactly what you're saying even though I spent a lot of time lecturing around the country, around the city, I go all the time to give grand rounds and tumor board, doctors are very busy and they're very focused on what they know they have to do. This is a new field, relatively, and many are aware now, but they don't have it rolled into a seamless way of sort of translating it to patient Mm -hmm. care. So you are right, the people out there you have to look, the individual has to to look, ask.
0: Ask. And so what do we ask for? What do we specifically ask for? And which doctor do we ask to do it? Do we have to ask an oncologist? Do we have to, I mean, I don't necessarily want to see an oncologist if I'm not feeling like cancer, I need to deal, but I want to know. So can anybody do that? Anyone can
1: actually send the test. Don't use those um, sort of commercial tests. That you get on Amazon? Right. <laughs> Don't use those. Okay. Um, there may be the 23andMe may have some decent accuracy Something. for the BRCA, yeah. but not for any of the other yeah. genes, and um, not always for the, all the BRCA mutations, either. Yeah. So you're throwing your money away, and it's not reliable. Okay. Which doctor can you go to? Any doctor can send the test, but there aren't that many doctors who are really familiar with how to do it. So the best thing to do is many unco- um, gynecologists are good at this, oh, interesting. and I know you're going to have Dina Harris I on am. later. I am. And, I and have
0: the works here. We have full yeah,
1: That's great spectrum. And and she does it, you know, in her office, and um, many gynecologists do great. who are aware, aware of this. Great. Internists can do it, surgeons can do it. Anybody. And what are we asking for? So, people should look to their family and personal medical background. And if they have a family history of cancer or some diseases that are related to cancer, like a lot of fibroids or, you know, mm-hmm. growths, things like that, they should be thinking could there be a reason why my family is getting more cancers than the average? Okay. So the things to sort of think about, the tips to think about are, you know, cancer unfortunately is not uncommon in our society, yeah. but there are certain patterns that are uncommon and should make one think this could be something unusual that might indicate a hereditary basis. So mm-hmm. think about whether a first degree relative, that means a mother, a sister, a child has okay. had breast cancer premenopausally under 50. Mm. Breast cancer—that is actually unusual. Okay, it happens plenty, but it's not the common scenario yeah. with breast cancer.
0: So that's that's an alarm. That's that's like, a red let's flag. Do something exactly. Let, let's take care of that. So, uh, and the name of it is just what, a genetic for, test. Yeah, or?
1: ask for a multi gene, multi gene panel because you don't okay. want just the BRCA usually anymore because now we it's know it's not enough. It's not enough. Many other genes confer risk. And you can find out, you're, you're thinking, oh, there's breast cancer in my family, and you get a multi-gene panel genetic test, and you find out that there is a gene, but it's linked to colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Colon cancer is usually
0: a preventable death yeah. if you know to screen exactly. in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. And one more question on this. And so this would involve men, too, then? Absolutely. So men should ask the same question. Absolutely.
1: Questions. And men, that's an important point, Norma. Men carry these genes exactly the same way, and they transmit them to their offspring the same way, and they receive them from their the parents same the same way.
0: Okay. Well, that, well that's a big yeah. boost of new information there. Um, Good. That's super helpful. And so you were talking about your interest got sparked originally when this genetic information came about, and now you're saying there's even more, and that we have a broader spectrum of information we can gather. Yes. Um, Now, what else is is really revolutionary that's either happening now, on the horizon, or you see is is something real that we'll be able to look at when it comes to cancer.
1: Yeah, this is a really exciting time, again, in uh, cancer therapy now. You know, immunotherapy basically, molecular therapy, genetic therapy of cancer, means, and that's when people talk about personalized cancer therapy Mm -hmm. or individualized, what that means is you look at the tumor cell and you see certain characteristics that are specific to that abnormal tumor Mm -hmm. mutated cell. And then you attack with an agent just those cells. And that Mm -hmm. is a great advance because number one, obviously you're going to get better efficacy at destroying the cancer cells. And number two, you're going to hope to get less effect on normal cells, less Mm -hmm. side effects, less toxicity, and much more efficacious. So what we're trying to do, and it, you know, in many cases, it's now going to become a reality, is turn the diseases, the cancer diseases, into either curable or chronic diseases that people have to live with, but can live with. Yeah. Amazing.
0: And um, what percentage of People who have cancer are using this new technology, or find out they have cancer. What percentage is it? Are we at now? The uh, are we talking
1: about the The targeting? The targeting personalized. It's still a fairly small percentage because uh, it's not out in the community as much yet, Um, but it's spreading and there and there are most of the community hospitals are using some of it okay absolutely so i think within the next few years certainly 5 years it will be In standard the population.
0: absolutely unbelievable that is really great news yeah it's great one of the um exciting things about my curiosity is i've gotten involved with some AI projects. And I had a tutorial in uh, Abu Dhabi um, about AI. And um, I said, I know a little, but I don't know you know, what AI can do. And when they did the portion on medicine and AI, uh, my uh, first on everything, my head was spinning. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, this is unbelievable how much do you realistically think ai is going to how much of a part is ai going to play mm. in everything you do going forward especially in medicine it seems right. like the perfect partner right i think it
1: is i think you know i think the
0: possibilities are not even defined
1: yet you know yeah. it's enormous and i think that it will bring the the community of the world together Mm -hmm. into a very sort of concentrated ball where everything will be able to be managed much more seamlessly. Mm -hmm. I think just like we've seen with the instigation of electronic medical records, which is, you know, the sort of the small, the small calf of the AI. Oh, there are going to be problems. There are going to be uh, complications ins- instituting it. It's yeah. going to be, you know, but I think it has enormous potential. Oh, yeah. Enormous. I
0: mean, it's just it, it it is just sort of like dream big dreams, yeah. And that really is is in that place and yes. it's fantastic. You and I were on a panel together. And we fell in love. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, too unlikely fall in love, but yeah, we fell absolutely. in love. Plus, we're we're in the same generation, so That's we for we sure. have we think a lot uh, the same. Um, and one of the things we talked about was um, hormones, and um, and you were just so brilliant at this event that I just want to be sure. We can cover some of what sure. we what talked about. So we were we were talking about um, breast cancer and ovarian cancer, and we were talking about who you know who are the likely candidates. Why did why? How do you get breast cancer? How do you get ovarian? What is it? How does that come about? And you talked about the um, periods, and when you're pregnant, you're you have right. like a little hold. Right. Time and I, I thought that was really, it was so clear and, and oh, very good. easy to understand. I, and I think we all kind of get that, but I don't think most women truly understand how hormones play such an important role in the life of a woman from puberty to post menopause. And I'd love to cover some of that with you sure. and everyone, by the way. Um, so tell us a little bit about the hormonal experience for women and how it interacts with what you do.
1: Right. So, you know, so as you say hormones are, you know, they're unbelievably important. And for women, there are these major times in our lives that there are really sort of tsunamis. And one is puberty and another is menopause. And a sort of earthquakes are pregnancies. I you know? love
0: the, the words that I'm going to use them forever because I've been using my very, but those are perfect, tsunamis <laughs> and earthquakes. Yes. Okay. okay.
1: So what happens is that until puberty, there are hormones floating around in everyone's body. But for girls, until puberty, the ovaries have not started pumping out hormones. All of a sudden, at puberty, the factory turns on, and this enormous rush of hormones is pumped into the system, and that's why all these parents go crazy when their children hit puberty. And we went crazy. (laughs) And we went crazy, too. uh,
0: I was out of control. I remember it well. (laughs) (laughs) I can believe that. (laughs) I was out of control. (laughs) (laughs) It must have been fun. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so there you are, you know, and all of a sudden whoosh, this uh, enormous um, just torrent of hormones is pumped in. It's those hormones are for women, for girls and females that is predominantly estrogen related hormones. Estrogen drives breast cancer. So that's why I mean men get breast cancer. Men have estrogen as women have testosterone, Mm -hmm. but the balance is different, and there are more, obviously, breast cancers in women than in men. So estrogen drives breast cancer. The longer the breast tissue, which, by the way, starts to proliferate and starts to grow at puberty, the longer that tissue is exposed to circulating hormones, the estrogens and the progesterone cycling through every month, the more at risk the tissue is for abnormal behavior, for becoming abnormal. Okay,
0: so pause. Pause. (laughs) That was a big statement that I guarantee you most of the people listening to this have heard for the first time. (laughs) And the idea that at puberty, estrogen starts flowing our breasts are growing. Every time we menstruate, estrogen's flowing through, including through our breasts, and this is when we're vulnerable. Right. Unbelievable. And and in general, proliferating tissue,
1: growing tissue, is more sort of at risk for damage than tissue that's just staying quiet.
0: So that leads me (coughs) to ask, if a Uh woman some of these are going to be vanity questions. So you have to deal with, to deal with what, well, what you have here. You look so good that I think I'll take your advice. So, so if a woman yeah. is gaining weight and losing weight, when she hmm. gains weight in her breasts, hmm. does that make her more vulnerable?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I've never been asked that, normal Well,
0: that's <coughs> why I'm
1: here, to that's ask a those great questions question. that nobody <laughs> <laughs> And the answer is no. Not in terms of, okay. well, I shouldn't say it's a, an absolute no. It's no in terms of do you have more risk the larger your breasts are. Well, that's if they're not,
0: growing... Um,
1: But it's not no in terms of
0: the proliferation and the fat. That's what I mean. That's That's a very important point that you're bringing up. That's my question. So if you're gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight, which a lot of people do, I know if I gain weight, um, my breasts are the first. Like I... Right. Not even my face, which I would be happy for, but my <laughs> breasts and I, and I have no idea why, and maybe at this right. point in my life they are for a certain reason and I always wonder um, when I get my breasts checked, is this am I more vulnerable when my breasts are fuller yeah that 's a fascinating question actually
1: i mean i 'm thinking about it as you 're asking it. In terms of the, we know that size of breasts does not confer risk, but we also know that body mass index, fat, and in particular, fat distribution in women is a risk factor mm-hmm. and that's why it's so important for everyone to really pay attention to lifestyle issues yes. really pay attention yeah. and it's not just weight it's also diet it's also exercise and those three things are independent yes. risk factors. You're
0: speaking my language <laughs> you,
1: This yeah, yeah, is yeah. It's, it's very important yeah. so all these things it's you know you want to keep a lean body mass the more fat cells you have on your body the more More you are at risk risk. yeah Yeah.
0: you know in in the fashion industry and in just in women's self-esteem right now especially on social media there's we want to accept women the way they are we want to accept women in their authentic selves and everything about them whether it's their noses, face, skin tone, colors, oddities, it's eccentricities in the way they look just because that's what they were born into the world looking like. And one of my concerns is I also believe that everybody's body type is their body type and trying to be something else is so bad for your head. But where I'm concerned is that fine line where women who have fuller bodies or thicker bodies are celebrated. I'm concerned to be careful not to celebrate poor health because there is no substitution for health. And we can't just be tolerant and accepting of everyone if they're not eating properly, if they're not moving, and if their body mass is so built on fat and it makes them vulnerable. That's the key. Yeah, so I am so happy to have a professional, (laughs) a very respected professional, make the statement so that the idea of a healthy lifestyle becomes more important as important as self-expression but Absolutely. more important than just accepting poor health as as an okay option it's not okay it's not, it's not
1: okay and it's not and it is fixable i mean you know it, yes i agree with you uh, we should accept Uh, the way people are are different and celebrate that even yes but everyone should be striving for good health and and being different does not mean being you know out of control or or slovenly Mm -hmm. it means trying to take care of yourself yeah and having a different body type you may have more muscle you may have more different distribution exactly but that's fine yeah but you still want that to be you want the fat to be turned into muscle and you want to make sure that you're, you don't have to be thin, but you have right. to have a body mass index that's healthy.
0: And, and um, I think we're so concerned about being politically correct now that to, for me to voice this concern that I have, because I do believe healthy lifestyle is the key to Absolutely. the best life for everyone, for me to voice this concern is very provocative in the politically correct landscape we're in right now. And I'm for sure saying I find appreciation in small breasts, big hips, big breasts, small hips, all, all of it. It's great. It's it's just like having a face like nobody else's. But I do have an absolute concern when women especially and men but women especially are not understanding the value of having a quality life with a healthy lifestyle and when you're young is the time to really act on it to make just say I'm gonna do this now and it's gonna happen right right away so this is super helpful
1: I think that's you know that's really important and the young you know People, when they're young, they're very focused on other things. They're very tied up with their social life, with their career. That's totally understandable. We all were. But you cannot do that at the expense of your health. And you know, you can't say to yourself, well, I'm just going to eat macaroni and chips because I'm too busy Mm. to take care of myself. It's really important. And there's no question, we know, and the evidence is there, that. For, in terms of lifestyle, these things matter in terms of risk of many cancers, not just breast yeah, cancer, definitely. many yeah. cancers. So, your body mass index, making sure that you take care of yourself and you exercise, you keep your body mass index in a healthy range, mm-hmm. making sure that you eat properly, don't put junk into yeah. your Into your body. It makes a big difference in the long run. Make sure that you exercise regularly and effectively. And, you know, really, you have to do a lot of exercise at least three or four times a week, Mm -hmm. at least 30 to 40 minutes. And
0: move every day. I mean, just make movement, take the stairs, do things. Um, One of the things that in in this conversation, I have so many questions to ask, but for young girls, and I work in the public schools and and Mm -hmm. I'm around this age group and I have so much um, to say and that I want to be done for these girls because nobody explains to a child that's going through puberty, that is about to go through puberty, or going through puberty, what is really happening to her? We've never had, there's no handbook, there's no instructions, you just go through it, and all of a sudden, this girl who had one type of a personality, all of a sudden is in another zone completely, and she's her interests are different, her behavior is different, her skill sets change, and her body. I know I, I just blew up. I mean, mm. I I did. I wasn't huge, but I, all of a sudden, not only did I have breasts and hips, and but I had this body that was just rounder, and all of a sudden, I didn't know what to do with it. Right. So. But number one, that transition time. What do we know about it? What do we know, and how can we communicate to these ten-year-olds or nine-year-olds at this right. point? Um, what exactly? That's another. That's a question. Yeah. Why
1: is that getting younger? Yeah. So and why
0: is it getting younger? Well, I think
1: that it's getting younger for no. It's a number of reasons, but one of the main diet. reasons is diet, diet and environment diet
0: i know diet
1: and environment you cannot have these young children uh gaining you know a lot of fat cells you cannot have them taking a lot of these preservatives into their system and you certainly cannot have them this is this is something I really believe. I think the cosmetic industry has not been properly um, regulated. It has not been uh, studied or regulated, and I think that you see all these young girls using an enormous amount of products, whether those products are cosmetic or, you know, cleansing or whatever. And those products, many of them, are pro-estrogenic. They cause the uh, uh, an estrogen effect in the body. And and then we've got the milk that's uh, got hormones in it. So these young and meat with hormones meat in it and milk and, 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 and
0: pesticides and everything. I mean, yeah. I, I I absolutely think one of the most important things a mother can do if she loves her children is to make sure they understand the importance of making good food the celebration. Yes. Not the birthday cake, right. not the candy. Right. Why celebrate with something that's poisoning your child? Right. Never never introduce that as a celebration, but celebrate colorful, beautiful vegetables. That's a great and idea. And make it make a, a beautiful bouquet of gorgeous food that tastes good and celebrate it with joy and make sure they believe you, and right. that you're not right. jamming chocolate chip cookies right. st- you know, behind right. the, a door somewhere, right. and, and really, really do that. And I think if that's embedded in those early childhood years, by the time this girl is going through menopause, through um, puberty, right. she's equipped because she's eating the right food and keeping active right just like going through menopause that's right if you're eating crappy food right and drinking and right. doing bad stuff right. you are gonna just have a horrible time
1: hard time and that I just you know that's one thing that I just want to also point out in terms of lifestyle stuff in terms of diet everyone hates me when I say this but don't drink don't drink oh. alcohol I uh, you know okay, does one drink here and there hurt you? Probably not. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. you have to be abstinent, but but this idea that you can drink every day or drink... Have a
0: glass of wine every day? That is
1: not okay. And And, you know, for a long time, we have believed that 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 particular factor increased the risk of breast cancer, mm-hmm. and now the data is clear. Yeah. It's very clear. And so people need to really be aware that alcohol is bad for you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, everyone knows cigarettes are bad for you. You should never smoke. That's,
0: the, that's a given. But, I, but I, alcohol, too. Yeah. So the smoking is still um, still in the culture for late teens and 20s. I still see... People smoking in that age group. People I know that I would like to just strangle, but I breathe <laughs> and say, "Please, just please, think about this." But I think um, and the e-cigarettes, alcohol, e-cigarettes. We can't even. It's just alcohol for me is is very interesting because I don't drink. I never. I've never felt comfortable with alcohol, and one of the things um, early on, I started to identify when I would eat certain things, I wouldn't feel good, and mm. I wouldn't feel good over a period of time. I was, I've been very connected to that it, as a young girl. Yeah, that's interesting. And so I, and my father was so happy that he could afford steak. For us to have steak, but not steak every once in a while, every day. We're proud. We can have steak every day. Mm-hmm. And the pain of sitting at the dinner table for me yeah. was just something I couldn't tolerate. I would have to go lie down because my stomach hurt so much when I ate the meat. And finally, I was able to like find my way around that. And so I stopped eating meat, not because I was saving cows or animals. I just was a city girl, and I would never seen animals anyway, (laughs) but I just didn't feel good. And then um, there's something about Guinness Stout. When I would go to London, I loved the smell of it. I loved the taste of it. But two inches down on a glass, I would start sneezing and coughing with an allergic reaction. And I would sometimes I would take it and I'd, oh, I'm okay. i 'd oh i 'm okay, this is so delicious, and it has such a great taste, but my in the end, I would just have a bad reaction, and so one of the things that I think has been super helpful for me is my I, my body reacts really quickly to anything that i 'm allergic to, and so it yeah, screams to me to stop and but it's your
1: awareness that's interesting to me even as a young person that's that's really a great trait and that's something that you would yes if you could teach that Share.
0: And, that's and, amazing yeah. to and, be
1: connected that way and aware attention. that's fabulous attention.
0: and then I also hmm. noticed that whenever when your body is having an allergic reaction to something you not only could have sneezing, coughing, but if you look at any woman, especially someone early 30s, no longer 20s, but 30s on up, when they drink the night before, the next day, it's not pretty. It's not a pretty sight. And so the younger you are, the faster it passes and the recovery is faster. But as you get older, that look sort of stays with you. Not one day, maybe two days. And then if you're having another drink, it just sort of becomes your look. Right. And you can actually look at someone, especially a woman, and see that she's Hmm. having a glass of wine every night. Right. I wonder if that... Wouldn't be enough of a deterrent to right. say, oh right. my God, you know, right. this isn't looking good. And vanity is a great way to be healthy.
1: Yeah, but you're right. I mean, it changes your skin, it changes your muscles, it changes your metabolism. So it's going to show. But yeah, yeah, that's, you know, the other thing is that, of course, people in general, as they age, become less tolerant to the effects of alcohol. Mm -hmm. so if you aren't as in touch as you were as a young person you can become in touch if you pay attention or as you get into your 30s and 40s that it is different to have a drink and how you feel in the morning Mm -hmm. than when you were younger and that difference is not a
0: good difference yeah and
1: And you can change it
0: and and so I've been talking about that a lot and it isn't popular and um But when, when, when I talk about menopause, um, and that there is zero tolerance, zero tolerance, if you're, I would say from 44 to 46, you're, you're, you're knowing something's happening to your body. You're seeing signs, you're getting the signal (laughs) there absolutely should alcohol should not touch your lips. At all, And by the time you've hit 46, if you're still having a drink, you're crazy. And why do they tell pregnant women not to drink? <laughs> right. What, so right. It, right. what else do we need to know right. that alcohol is not necessarily what used to be socially acceptable and okay? So, which leads me to... CBD and all of these things, does this, ha- when we talk about cancer and we talk about how the, sometimes the pain of right. cancer and how people go through it and right. and right now there isn't enough technology to make sure everybody gets it zapped and they no. don't get side effects. So right. how how is CBD or any of these these drugs used as right. as sort of a support or is it a valid use of the right. product
1: well i think you know there's there is the sort of medical use of marijuana and its products and then there's the emotional and recreational use so from a medical point of view there's no question that for certain chemotherapy agents Marijuana, and I'm talking about smoking marijuana and THC in, the, meta, in right. the smoking, can help with nausea and vomiting that can be chemotherapy induced. Right. Taking the, because that was, you know, everybody saw that was true, the FDA, the government decided to approve pills that had THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, uh, for people taking chemotherapy. Right. That doesn't work really <laughs> it doesn't work really and so you have to tell your patients who are having those symptoms to try smoking marijuana not to take the the doctor prescribed pills oh my God. because that doesn't help so it has its role for sure I mean here again I have to say I'm a little bit out of step with culture yeah. and the current politically acceptable I for instance, and I talk to my kids about this all the time, I don't really think it's a great idea to just totally legalize marijuana. Mm. I mean, it's just not, you know, you don't want to be walking down the street and have everybody, you know, sort of having the effects of marijuana, bumping into you, driving cars,
0: Uber drivers,
1: Uber drivers, construction workers. So, I actually think that I don't, I do think it should be decriminalized, I don't think it should be, you know, somebody, there should be jail sentences, but I don't think that you should be able to just walk down mm-hmm. the street, you know, smoking or drinking. Yeah, We can't walk down the street drinking, so, yeah. you know, it's, so there are, there are places where these things have a real role. CBD has not been worked out very well. And I think that has mm-hmm. a long way to go in terms of where we should use it and how. And regulate it. And regulation. So and I regulating. don't think the idea is just to not regulate things and let people sort of, you know, because society will suffer mm-hmm. and
0: people will have problems. Yeah, so, I, 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 know, kind of. I, I call it the numbing of America. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think we, Are numbing um, our population. I almost feel like it's a science fiction film, and some (laughs) foreign country wants to take us down. And by doing that, it's not so far fetched. And by doing, (laughs) by infiltrating these huge business opportunities based on these numbing drugs. There's a chance if people think they can make a lot of money that a lot of people jump on it Therefore a lot of people will find it available. So where I get my tea On the counter are brownies with CBD. There's no regulation on them And I keep thinking they're little brownies. They're as cute as anything, right. just like the gummies right. I, I got right. a gift of gummies. I thought well, it's a good thing I don't eat sugar because I would eat that whole box, and I didn't know there was c b d in it, oh, wow. and I was like, and it wasn't it was it was actually marijuana it was oh, the, the that's so right. and in and when you consume it, it's even more. I thought, what if a ten year old girl comes in and right. sees the brownies right. and gets four of them, and there's no regulation, and you don't know if the batch was mixed properly and Was a whole chunk of it over here. It was mixed and spread out, and and I feel like, oh my God, am am I the only one that's freaking out over this and thinks that this is not a good thing?
1: Well, I'm with you, and I also think that you know we have to get. I mean, what is the point of civilization? What is the point of a government? It's there to protect the citizens and have. So we need to get sort of a grip in society yeah. and understand that there are things that, we're, you know, that we've structured and we have to go back to that yeah. to protect.
0: Yeah, I, I think we definitely if, and all I, want, all I say is what if this were a science fiction film and some country was trying to take us down, will that provoke people to? But I, I agree with you, I don't think this is what you put people in jail for. This is not that. Right. But I do think regulation to protect people. I don't want to be in an Uber with a guy who right. is, who's, who's high. Like stoned. Right. I really don't. And I don't want to walk by a construction site where, you know, or live in a house where or or the- <laughs> something was built because I, I, I just I want to know that everybody is clear thinking, right. working at excellence, and right. doing their best for everybody, for babies, for, for families, for everyone. Right. So I, I think starting with the fact that if you're smoking pot and you have chemotherapy and it's chilling it, I say, thank God. right? Thank it's God. Good. What a great use of this. This is great. On the other hand, regulation, there's no question. It's right. necessary. Right. So if, if you felt that you were talking to your daughters and young women um, who were curious about what they needed to know about their health, what they should check and look out for on a regular basis. What advice would you give?
1: Yeah, I would tell my, my children, and I do tell my children, boys and girls actually. I think that the points actually that you've been focusing on are very important. Try to try to be connected to who you are and to your body. Try to listen to and feel what you feel. Acknowledge it and then try to understand where it's coming from. You know, most young people are healthy and most young people don't get seriously sick. It happens, but it's actually the exception. Mm. So you can go through life not thinking about any of this, but that doesn't pay off later, Mm. you know? And so, you know, the things that we're talking about try to be aware of your sleeping habits try to be aware of your eating habits your exercise habits whether you're sitting all day or moving get up and move if you if you've been sitting be aware of what you're putting into your body if you start to have symptoms you know do not just go on the internet and google <laughs> Right. Google I get right. I get calls from my kids' friends all the time. Oh I Google I had this symptom, so I Googled it. Do I have this? Right. Do I have that? You know, you yeah. probably do not have those mm-hmm. things. But you know, have a doctor and a checkup regularly mm-hmm. because that doctor is someone you can bounce all these things off yeah. and you know, go talk to them about any of these concerns. Have people, older people who you trust who you can ask mm-hmm. questions and confide in. I don't think that young people should focus too much, I think especially for this particular young generation, they've grown up in a time of great uncertainty in the world. And I think that one thing I see all around me in practice with young men and young women is anxiety. I think it's a huge problem for this generation. And I think it does not help to focus on do I have this and do I, and every symptom what you want to focus is on the good and the ease of living and you have that for most young people and i think that it's been a very tough time for these kids to grow up mm. and i think what they face a world of uncertainty is very different than what we faced so i really think that what they need to do is learn to live in the moment protect themselves as best they can mm-hmm. and enjoy their good health and know that that's likely to stay with them.
0: Mm, and protect it. One of the things um, that I think we need to share is in our childhood and our generation and that time, the environment was healthier. Right. The food right. we ate. Was still, I mean, all of the pesticides and and, but even more of like pumping hormones into food, really came about through fast food to produce the biggest fattiest thing, and so our early childhood was really based on, and it wasn't a while before that fast food thing took over everything, but our childhood, less population, right, healthier food. More time for our parents to cook and do the traditional things. Not so much
1: electronics.
0: So more sort of
1: interconnection, movement, touching, and going places. (laughs) And
0: so the food we ate, we played outdoors. We were with other kids playing without play dates. Play date is a new word. Our generation never had a play date. we had the luxury of a childhood that can never happen again. Right. And so we were protected because the environment and the lifestyle was a different one. Our stress was minimalized. I remember there were three TV stations. <laughs> right. And. <laughs> I And Walter Cronkite, for those of you who have never heard of him, Google it. Um, Walter Cronkite actually told the news. Right. We got news, and it wasn't some version of the news. It was news, and it was a trusted, sounding voice. We had inspiring people in the news. There was Gandhi. There was Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy. Right we were inspired by the moon landing and all of this stuff and now the population explosion the amount of people the amount of issues with food and farming and which is why wellness and lifestyle are critical now critical. and kids now have no choice Even though they can recover from getting sick or health issues, they can recover faster. They have no choice. They must start an early, healthy lifestyle. And that has to come from the parents, has to come from the mother. It has to be instilled early on that their survival on this planet will depend on that healthy lifestyle because the technology, the stress of social media, the stress of knowing the latest the newest and being on that treadmill has caused the amount of medication from early ages straight through to now to be part of their lives. Like they are living on medication to Mm. deal with all of this. And the only way to get off that medication is to have a lifestyle that nurtures and protects your body because it's about good food, it's about sleep, and it's about moving, moving, moving. And for me, I just want to scream it every day because it's not, it's, it's not loud enough. That, that warning, it's a warning, it's not loud enough. So when people are most prone to get ill in a serious way, what age is that? What where is the the bulk of that? Not the sort of the exception.
1: Yeah. Well, the the bulk is after sixty. That's really? the bulk. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, if one survives those high risk decades, sixties, uh, mid fifties to early 70s, mid-70s, then you've passed the biggest stress test in life. Really? Yes. And then you are likely to have quite a long, healthy life. Mm. So you want to make sure when you're heading into your 50s that you're you're in good shape.
0: Yeah. It's it's really... um, I I think that there are different decades' conversations, so by talking about youth and, and owning it early on by the time you get into those older years, it's already part of your habit. And I think now, um, hopefully, um, I'm going to try in every way to communicate that, but I think people like you who are immersed in all of the consequences of not only a genetic predisposition, but... How lifestyle, even if it's genetic, if you have a healthier lifestyle and genetically you're challenged, you can at least you can modify that. Absolutely. So um, that's
1: and that's something important. You know, I have many patients who come in to see me and they have cancer and they say to me, "I just don't understand how this happened to me. I eat well, I eat right, I exercise regular. I'm so care." And what I say to them is, "Listen." some of this is totally out of your control, and you cannot yeah. blame yourself for getting sick or get, getting cancer. But one thing I can tell you is that if you do get sick or you get cancer, coming in with having been strong and healthy makes a huge difference yeah. in how you can weather yeah, it.
0: I, I agree. I, I, I agree. I think that that's so such it's important. a bonus to know that you can. Some of the um, issues about cancer... Obviously, when people are ill, they feel bad about being less than themselves, and and um, and, and it's it's really such a challenging time. And um, one of the things I think is so important is that when people aren't well, it's really a time for us to touch them and to be close to them and to hug them. And we don't touch each other anymore. <laughs> and and I you know, I do this thing where I take people's hands and I look in their eyes and I say, When was the last time somebody took your hand? Yeah. Well, for the most part, we have this in our hands. So we, we have our mobile devices and we don't touch. But I think when somebody is going through cancer especially, or any of those challenging times where your body's ravaged and with all kinds of treatments or whatever else you need to do or breast reconstruction, all of that. To have someone touch you when you've had your breasts removed and you need reconstruction, just to touch, to give someone a facial, to hold their hand, to do something, I think is the most generous act of kindness you can possibly do for a friend, for your mother, for an aunt, for whoever it is. And you can't buy flowers prettier right. than doing that. You right. can't buy a gift. But it takes so much from us to do that because illness is scary because right. we don't want to catch it. Right. We don't want to get the, oh, I don't want to get that. And right. I don't want to get too close too or whatever close. it is. <laughs> and in fact, I think the generosity of spirit of kindness is just the, healthy, the healthiest thing you can give yourself, but also to do that for another person, I, I think is something we all have to think about. And since we know Love so that. many women Love who are, have cancer, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: I love that because, you know, I remember and I know you remember the the decades and the horrible years in the 80s with AIDS and HIV infection. And I remember so well these young, healthy, until this disease, this healthy, vibrant young men all of a sudden ravaged and their lives destroyed and everybody was so frightened. And I remember so well seeing someone come into their room someone they knew come into their room and they were all so frightened and someone just hugged them because everyone thought they were terrified that they could yeah, catch it sick, by yeah. they thought they could catch yeah. it by hugging them yeah. and then i remember so well this patient just tears yeah. streaming down his face because this person came in and hugged him yeah it's it's really i i, think I that's remember really that important. too
0: but that's our generation. Yeah. I remember that too, and I remember, um, I remember hugging friends, and I didn't know if I would catch it or not. I didn't know. I didn't really know. None of us knew, but I just knew that I wasn't going to see my friend anymore. Yeah, two of my friends, yeah. and the thought of that was like I just wanted to give them energy from my body and and uh, and it was so painful and i also remember when my mother was in her last years of her life and um and she was very isolated and she was a very active woman and so she was home and i promised that she could stay home and i would do whatever and i would visit her And give her facials and massage her hand and brush her hair. And I could see on her face that that was really all she needed. That's what she needed that. And to underestimate that. So I think more and more now, and I've been talking about it more and more, because now with these mobile devices in our hand, we have disconnected emotionally and spiritually from each other, and we communicate our emotion through texts, through <laughs> emails, through social media. And that's inadequate. Media. Totally it's, inadequate. It's dangerous. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. we can be sympathetic, but we can be evil, too, right. in the same right. stroke of the the, the the emoji. Yes. And um, So I think for cancer, Especially, there's so much that we can do as friends and as oh, yes. um, family, um, and and not be afraid that you're going to n- catch it because it's not
1: contagious. <laughs> no, but it's it's
0: spiritually contagious. Right.
1: Right, but but you're right. You're right. It's people know at this point. They used to think that, you know, and, and even not that long ago, well, if it's caused by a virus, cuz some cancers are caused by virus.
0: Mm. And so what? Tell me about that.
1: But well, some cancers are caused I mean the most sort of obvious example is cervical cancer for women and HPV, human yes. papilloma virus. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a sexually transmitted virus. Uh, you know, during intercourse in the semen, this, the virus is transmitted to, mm-hmm. and it infects the cervical cells, the cells of the cervix, and then over time you can develop cancer of the cervix. Mm-hmm. It's a virally transmitted. You cannot Mm. catch that from a hug. You cannot. But but there are viruses that cause cancer. Epstein-Barr virus can cause lymphoma. There are viruses, yeah, that can we know can cause cancer. But uh, um, those are, I mean, and HIV, HIV. But these are not any of the. And so it was thought before anything was known about cancer transmission, maybe you could catch it just by touching someone. Mm -hmm. And so the cancer patients were ostracized and isolated. And then it was clear that you couldn't in general, mm-hmm. but then it became known that viruses did cause some cancers. And so, well, maybe if there's a virus that causes that cancer, if I get too close, that virus right. could somehow infect me. Right. That's not the way it works. So in terms of the medical, physical, you don't have to worry. It's, cancer is not in any way contagious. Yeah. But your point, this issue of... And I think it happens not just with cancer, but anyone who's sick, Mm. anyone who's ill. People are afraid to be around them. They're afraid that somehow their world will be infected by mm-hmm. illness, mm-hmm. and that is actually a counterproductive, for, not just for the person who has the illness, but it's counterproductive for the person who's afraid of it mm-hmm. because it's an irrational fear that they are then feeding into and allowing to fester yeah. and grow. That will cause them to be depressed yeah. and anxious.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's so true. Early on when we were talking about um, the predisposition to having um, a a gene or something, tell me a little bit about fibroids and that because I, uterine I, I, yeah, I come uterus. from a family of fibroids and yeah. <laughs> and thick breasts uh. and all of that. So I'm like really on it and uh. fibrocystic and, breasts. Yes, yeah, yeah, and so I'm always checking my breasts a hundred million times, especially in this age range. I'm there like Good. every Good. every six months and doing the sonar, radar, <laughs> whatever it is you do. Um, but I, I don't think people know enough about why certain people have fibroids and what that, uh, what like how, how does that happen? What what is a fibroid and what, what's the information around that?
1: Yeah, so fibroids, uh, which can occur in many spots in the body, fibroids are abnormal collections of cells that are not cancerous. They are benign, most, for the vast majority of fibroids are totally benign. And it's just a collection of cells that have changed from the normal cell and they cause this lump usually, somewhere, so it can be in the uterus, fibroids in the uterus can be a problem because the fibroid is not gonna uh, cause cancer or anything for the most part, but the uterus is a big muscle. And every time you get your period, that muscle has to contract to stop the bleeding. And if there's something in the way, a lump in the way, it can't contract as well, so you can keep bleeding because the muscle can't contract Mm -hmm. as well. Well, you can get fibroadenomas, little fibroids, in the breast as well and that's the fibrous tissue, the connective tissue, not the ducts that produce milk, uh, but the tissue that connects and holds all those ducts together in the breast can form a little lump and that is a fibroadenoma or a thickening of that Mm -hmm. tissue, of that fibrous tissue, fibrocystic breast. That is not cancer, it does not cause cancer it's troubling to a lot of women because on breast self exam, it can be hard. Forget to... It. you, you don't like know what I, you're feeling.
0: I, I just surrender. I gotta go get my breast yeah. checked because yeah. I was like, oh my god. I remember. <laughs> yeah, always I, lumps. I like, did when you check your breasts? Yeah, I have. A, and then I finally they said, look, you know, you can check your breasts, but don't have a nervous breakdown every right. time you do it. Right. Right. Um, but I, and I always and I'm I'm saying this. For people who are experiencing fibroids, it's, it. There's a big population of women who have this experience. Absolutely. And, um, so I remember um the first discovery of fibroids was oh you have a little strawberry and then it turned into an orange and it's like they keep going through the fruit family <laughs> the and it's <fruit>. <laughs> like it's a cantaloupe no it's a watermelon and and so they keep growing and changing and then you get sort of updates on the garden and what's happening with the fruit variety. But it um it, it's 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 just disruptive in yeah. that you don't have a sense of what's happening, right. but it is, you can yeah. actually feel a difference, and, and, and many people have them removed laparoscopically, and right. that's very successful, right. in, which right. I've done. And, um, and I remember when I had it done, it was the beginning Urine of... fibroids? Yes, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so I remember... Um, I heard about this, and everybody was having these things walking around with blood coming out, and all this. And then I had a wonderful doctor who did it laparoscopically, and I was out the next day. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, that's better. So, obviously, so much has right. improved right. In, in making your life comfortable right. and less stressful but it does mean you have to pay attention a little bit more, I mean it just means okay here's a heads up, Right, make sure you are going to check your breasts and right. and do whatever you have to do. Right, and, um, and, and you have to go to the doctor, yeah. I
1: mean women have to know that starting at puberty and shortly after and certainly if they're sexually active they've got to go regularly to the gynecologist.
0: So you're saying at puberty, they start going to the gynecologist?
1: Well, they don't have to go at puberty, assuming they're healthy and everything's fine, as long as the parents are, you know, educating them and talking to them. If the parents feel uncomfortable doing that, they should go to the gynecologist, and they don't need to have an internal exam, they don't need to have a pelvic, before they're sexually active. That can be really traumatic, traumatic yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they should have someone to talk to. Yeah. And so uh, the parents, you would hope the mother would be doing mm-hmm. this. But then once they become sexually active, they should be going regularly to the gynecologist. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm going to ask everyone today what, um, a few questions. This is one question. So um, a 10-year-old girl all of a sudden realizes that she's bleeding and she doesn't really know very much about it how what what would you say from a doctor mother perspective to this 10-year-old girl about what's happening i will tell you what my mother did I was riding a bicycle because I was a tomboy and I was riding a boy, my brother's bicycle, boy's bike, (laughs) down a very steep hill and I was very nimble so I could lift it and move it and I crashed into a tree but not dramatically, I pulled to the side and I was wearing white shorts so I was sure I had internal bleeding from my accident and I went into the house and I said, mom, I think I have internal bleeding. I, you know, I fell on Billy's bike and she brings me the biggest wad of cotton, which was a Kotex of the (laughs) fifties, which was like a pillow. And she said, here, use, put this in your panties. And I was like, what? What? I don't want to go out and play. I don't want this. And so I was taken down. That was like the end of my life. Um, so now here we are. That's terrible. What? What would? What would you say, using your expertise and also your maternal skills to this? Ten-year-old girl.
1: Well, first of all, I would if she's start, ten, maybe nine. Right, whenever it is, I would start before she gets like how her before? period. You know, these it's days, eight? yeah, these days, I think when the kids are, you know, the, with television and social media and what's going on, I think that by the time they're in the third grade that, you know, when they're eight or nine, they are aware of what's going on. And I think that, you know, you put it in, you have to f- phrase it in words that they can understand and that don't frighten them. But I would it, let them know that, you know, a- and if you, if it's your child, then they should be seeing you go through monthly, you know, cycles. And I would let them see that i would let them know it's a Ah, natural it's a natural process and i would let them know that that is a you know a healthy and happy process because that is how the species reproduces itself and that's how they were born and that is you know ultimately what will happen to them so that they when if they if they want to have children they will be able to have children but in any case it will be a healthy life cycle for them and I, you know, I remember talking to, I mean, they make fun, of, my kids make fun of me now because I remember sort of always talking to them they said, Mom, you always talked about the cycle of life, the cycle of life, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that is really, a, a, you know, something that's good to appreciate at a young age that, because you don't know at a young age that there is this kind of, not just this, Whole, what's in front of you but that that will end and then will repeat uh, for others and I think that's a
0: healthy thing to mm-hmm. know so I would just put it in terms of the cycle of life personally so um, so for me and and. Uh, but
1: I would explain specifically yeah. to the girls what's going to happen, and I would have them prepared, and I would say, you know, you just come tell me when this happens, and, you know, we'll take care of yeah. this, and we'll make sure you... Yeah, so you know. that
0: there is a, a prep time. Yeah,
1: um, so they're not shocked when they yeah. run into a tree. But the
0: but the, other, <laughs> but the other part of it is, and I see it, you know, I, and I work with public schools, and, and I... What do you do with public schools? Well, I am a public school, a high school, I'm I'm a public school student that I graduated from public schools in New York and um, many years ago I was asked to come back to the high school I went to, which the high school... Washington Irving High School. Oh, Washington Irving was survival Whoa. of the fittest yeah. high school. Whoa. Even when I went, and really? it was all girls then. Oh, um, oh and Washington so it, Irving was all girls at one point, I didn't know and that. it was very yeah. tough. And it yeah. always was tough. Yeah. And they actually just shut it recently and created secondary smaller schools, but mm. hmm. the. Um, so i wow. you know i 've gone back in many iterations and doing different things with students in the schools, but the um, the girls in high school in public schools um, really have uh, a tough go of it. Many of them are helping raise the children yeah. in the household many of them are dealing with parents who might are so young that they have boyfriends and yeah. have to find a place to go if the boyfriend is there it's a very common thing and it's life mm-hmm. it's just life and um but they their self esteem is sincerely challenged and mm-hmm. one of the things that i am so aware of is this girl that is going through puberty and her self-esteem, her sense of this body she has now um, and the power of it and also the objectification of it are Mm -hmm. playing back Mm -hmm. and forth in her head and Mm. her relationship with boys. And in Washington Irving, um, there were closed-off hallways, and there would be girls giving boys' head in the hallway and all kinds of things, and it would just, like, oh, my God, girls, let's get together here and talk about, you know, what what you're doing and, like, what, where is your power right. to own your power and how do we, like, turn this around? Right. And I realized so much of what they were was self-taught or through a girlfriend or somebody else telling you what this is about and my concern is that even with a more affluent or the privileged they're still getting so much information from sort of chatter that goes around that's based on nothing now in our childhood that happened too however we didn't have this magnified sort of social media buzz. And we didn't have... And we didn't have the TV, everything the, going yeah, on on those channels. Yeah, and the, and the negativity. Yeah. And, and so uh, I really feel like there's a need for a handbook or something for yeah. these girls to, mm-hmm. to, to just idea. have it. Yeah. Why don't you write one? Well, I may end up putting it something like that into my book because i know my book is coming out next year and i am so concerned about this girl and her education but like you said if if there is a parent there who can have an intimate conversation and share the mother share her experience um, that's so helpful because this it's is not so like my mom, and I can be like her. Yeah. And, and and it doesn't have to be the mother; it can be any female any, role model, yeah, anyone. Any, anyone.
1: You know, any older woman who's been through it, who can help this girl yeah. understand. You know, and they'll be so grateful.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that it can happen in school,
1: yeah. but some of it mm-hmm. can. Mm-hmm. But
0: um, so that
1: they have sex education courses where you? <sighs> These schools that you've been involved with?
0: It's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. It, most of it is about preventing pregnancy. Yeah. Most of it is about. STDs. Pre- yeah. And, yeah. More of it is protecting mm. the kids, mm-hmm. um, which is really important, too. Yeah. But um,
1: but that does focus on, you know, the side that's kind of frightening and negative. Yeah. Right. So,
0: uh, so it's, it's assuming that it's okay to right. be active and. Um, which you know is, right. you know, then everything goes off into right. some weird conversation, and not everybody agrees, and right. I don't know. But so, um, when a woman is facing the the information that she has cancer, so because of my breast, I always have to go back a hundred times right. to have my breast check, and sometimes, well, we think you might have, and and yeah. I'm. And I sit there experiencing what it's like to believe I have cancer. Right. Because several times that's happened to me throughout my lifetime. Well, we think we may have we may have a problem and we just want to double check. Right. And, right. and so I sit in a room with other women who obviously have heard the same thing. And I think to myself this moment in time is so excruciating that what now what happens like what what happens at that time so what what is what is that sort of communication when the facts find that there is there is a problem and we have to take care of the problem and what what is that 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 moment to me in my experiences of thinking, well, I have cancer and I have to deal with this, where I really believed it from right. the information. What what can you share about that? Not only in the way the woman finds out about it, but then how she should, like what can she spiritually put in her head about right. the the that situation right
1: right I, you know it's 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 just a time it's a terrifying moment and it's also surreal because because you know nobody is equipped emotionally to handle that information nobody has a blueprint of what they should be doing or how they can manage it so it throws you at once into fear and terror and at the same time it throws you into a world where a a a sphere where you just can't quite comprehend what's going on and you don't have a way to master that and you don't know what to do and on top of that you have no expertise in the area so you can't make your own judgment and so you lose control you're now not in control of the decisions. Some doctor is telling you what to do, and you have to, you know, go along with that. And you don't. You, that's not how we usually handle our lives. Mm-hmm. We try to stay, make decisions, that, and right. have control. So I think that it's very important at that time to just understand that that's what's happening. That that's the natural way to feel at that time. To get support. Get, get someone close to you to be with you, Mm -hmm. because you won't hear what's being said, and you won't process it, and you can't remember it, and you need someone who's there with you. And I think from the doctor's point of view, the most important thing is to give the information, but make it clear that there is someone in control, and that that person who's now the patient does not have to be in control right now because things are going to be okay and they are going to be taken care of. Mm. And somebody knows what they're doing and how to do it. And it will be a horrible, horrible day, but you will get through it. And in most cases now, thankfully with breast cancer you will survive it. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, you know, um, I know that most people can can tell you, and I can say too, sometimes the people you love the most act like the biggest idiots when you have yeah, the th- right. most dilemma. They don't know what to do, they're awkward, they're saying stupid things, and they're irritating the shit out of you, right? And so sometimes you really don't want those people around you, even though I have to say I have wonderful people around me, I still think they're all capable of acting like jerks (laughs) if you really need them for something. And so I remember when (laughs) I was having my fibroid issues, one of the best things the doctor, great guy, did for me was he said, I have two patients who have gone through what you're going to go through, and I'm going to ask them if it's okay if you speak with them. Right. And he, they did. And then I did that for people, right. too. And they were so comforting. They told me what I was going to go through. I was able to call them. They then called me to see if I was okay. And I thought... This is the best thing. Yes. This is the best thing. My cuckoo relatives, people around <laughs> me were acting cuckoo and, and but I knew I could contact those two women yeah. and say it's like when you do you get a pain when like and like right. yeah, it'll go away. Right. That and so that was so great. And I feel that cancer has just hit so many people that there has to be sort of a network like this. There are. And I'm sure there are. There
1: are. And there are very good ones. And that's, I think, you're right, because those are the people who know what you're feeling and, and who can yeah. answer your questions and the people who may love you but are not going through it or have never been through it, they and don't. And they're
0: having panic attacks they, on their right. own. And they and don't know what you're talking no, about No, and they're just being certain stupid. Certain they're right. just doing, like, stop doing right. that. No, I don't <laughs> want chocolate. No, like, just, no. You know, you just want them to be quiet right. and, like, not stress you out and Having, and it's great that they're there and they love yeah. you and they're acting yeah. like idiots, yeah. but I think the most important thing really is to to talk to people yeah. who have that first-hand experience so you can say, you know, I don't know, this is like, I, what about Absolutely. this reconstruction? Yeah. Like, what do you think about it? Is it, how does it feel? Does it change? You yes, know, just show them. Yeah. What is it, you
1: know, does this look all right to you? Yeah. And, it, it, I think, but I think that that comes after that first initial, yeah. you know, and that's when you find people who have been through this yeah. experience, and you talk to them, and there are a lot of yeah. very and, good ways and, and to find do them. And do
0: doctors recommend them? Oh, absolutely, they do. Absolutely. So it's that. So. Yeah,
1: I think most doctors who deal with cancer—that's something we we routinely, you know, advise people to do, and talk to them about, and give them Great. the resources, Great. you know. this is, when we, early years when the BRCA gene was discovered, nobody knew what to do if you, we knew how to find it because the genetics had been worked out in the technology, but we didn't know what to do to uh, prevent cancer and whether what we were doing was actually preventing Mm -hmm. cancer. And then we started to understand that yes, we had ways to prevent it and we could do things. So I remember, uh, this was about 15 years ago. I had all these young women, and you reminded me of this, and these young women who were healthy, but they had this high, high risk from some mutation they had, and they didn't know what to do. Should they do take both their breasts off, do a bilateral prophylactic mastectomy. Should they take their ovaries out so they wouldn't get ovarian cancer? What kind of reconstruction? How are they gonna handle their, you know, breastfeeding issues, fertility issues? Mm. So I, did, I used to do exactly that. And um, I'd say, well, I, you know, because there was nowhere to, for them to go. No. There was nowhere for them to go. So I'd say, look, I'm gonna to talk to these other young women see if you can talk to them. And then yeah. they would get together in my office, actually. Oh, that's great. And I'd have them come to an appointment on the same day. Awesome. And then we started a BRCA support group. Mm-hmm. It's only for young women who are of reproductive age. Really? Because there was one, the, but the women were like 65. And they, the, yeah, different issues,
0: different. And yeah. so
1: I think that's exactly. That's, and there are many sort of what I'm pointing out is there are many specific support groups for different issues. And I think they, that those resources are out there. They're very important. Great. Really Great. Good.
0: good. Well, tomorrow. I'm getting all of these signals that our time is up and okay. you and I could speak forever, and hopefully we, we can meet again and do um, Definitely. some more. Thank you so much, Julia. Well, thank you, Norma. I really you, Norma. it. I really, Let's hold I, hands. <laughs>
1: Let's hold hands. I really enjoyed it.